languages can be a dry subject. So here's your oasis in the desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Bert to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience. Well, here we are. Episode 8 of the LM Experience. Welcome, Stuart. Welcome, Martin. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much. I'm glad that the weather's improved. Well, that's just a tad, isn't it? You want to take your roof off again soon, won't you, if it gets any warmer? Yeah, that's fine. No need to take the chimney off this time, though. (laughs) Well, here we are. Look, episode uh, episode 8. And um, uh, last week we had uh, a special guest in, Sebastian Ryman from uh, Libra. And we had lots of letters in off the back of that, mainly from the regulator, which we'll address in due course. And we've got a new guest today. We've got Mr. Rob Gill. Welcome, Rob. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, so, uh, Rob, you know we've uh, we've sort of friends with the industry now for for a year or two. We've met up um, socially, and um, you've kind of evolved your career over time. And um, can you just give us a little potted history of kind of what you've been up to over the years, and uh, you know what you're up to now? Sure. So I'm maybe a, a little unusual. I haven't been in mortgage broking for the whole of my career. I had another career before that. I uh, I was an investment banker for ten years. Seven of that was an equity trader. A proper so, job. Uh, well, I guess so. Uh, I was the kind of client that people wanted. I had yeah. mortgage brokers come and pitch to me. I always remember picking up the Evening Standard and seeing those uh, the very famous John Charcoal advert, the three cups with the bull. That always stands out for mm-hmm. me. And that was probably the first time I was even aware of what a mortgage broker did. Uh, so I was a trader in my early 30s, and I looked around me and thought, there are very few happy traders in their <laughs> early 40s. I want to go and do something else. And I'd always wanted to start my own business. I realized I was never going to start my own large investment bank. So I looked around for something else to do. I took about six months out to really work that out and eventually came across mortgages. This was 2005, 2006. It was obviously a hot industry and there was a good opportunity there. So I went to work for a large Knightsbridge-based mortgage brokers, learned my trade there. And the world obviously changed. And by 2009, I found myself out of a job <laughs> as that company <laughs> had not managed to survive, along with many others at the time. We were looking for sure the cause know. of the credit crunch. I think we just found it. It was, it was Rob Gill all the time. Well, I became an equity trader in 1999 and a mortgage broker in 2006. So, yeah, my track record is great. <laughs> Pretty cool. But uh, I then got the chance to start another large mortgage broker's Corico, yep. as you'll all be aware, mm-hmm. and that was great. And we had a great, albeit a tough first few years, mm-hmm. given the conditions, but we did very well there. And I'm very proud of everything that we achieved in my uh, eight or nine years at Corico. I left Corico at the end of last year, again, as many people will know. And I took some time to think about what to do next. Now, when I started Corico, I brought on board some contacts of mine from the trading industry who ran the foreign exchange company Mercury FX. And we mm-hmm. had a great relationship with them. We referred any buyers to them who might have part of their deposit in foreign currency, typically a French couple, for example, may have assets or savings in euros in France. They need to exchange that and bring it over to the UK so they can buy their home. And we referred some clients very successfully to them. They always delivered a very good service and a huge cost saving. So the clients were always delighted to have been put in touch with them. When Mercury found out I was leaving Corico, and I've known those guys very well, socially and professionally, they asked me if I wanted to come on board and help them develop their mortgage Mm -hmm. broker proposition. So to use my contacts within not just mortgage broking, but estate agents, solicitors, any other property professional, and try and turn Mercury into the first choice foreign exchange partner, really, for any property professional, such as a broker, solicitor, or estate agent. Fantastic. Interesting. That's a a big sort of... 180 degree turn, isn't it? Away from, you know, what you were doing previously for a number of years and, and, and kind of heading off on into New Frontiers. Is that is that the way you see that? Was it time for, again, for another another involvement of Rob Gill, the individual, into doing something completely different? 
It's nice to do different things. I mm. do enjoy that. Mm. And I seem to have changed career every 10 years. So maybe this is the other <laughs> evolution of that. But in a way, it's bringing together my first two careers. I've got the trading side, being part of a foreign exchange company. Yep. But most of my time in the last five or six weeks since I started has been getting around mortgage brokers and estate agents. So mm. I'm still very close to that market. I try and stay as close as I can so I know what's going on and I know what sort of mortgage brokers and estate agents are going through and I can use that for their clients. So mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the last five or six weeks just getting back in contact with old contacts and making new ones and finding out what people have been doing in the last nine or ten years mm. uh, since I last spoke to them or, or saw them. Yeah, I mean, FX is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've always thought that was ripe for some sort of disruption uh, because historically, most people do FX conversions at their bank. That's right. I would think. Or at the post office or possibly maybe Bureau de Change at the train station or the, at, the, um, at the airport. So uh, the, the, I think people's um, understanding of how the FX market works has always been quite limited from a consumer point of view. Is that fair? I think that's very fair, and especially mm -hmm. in terms of large transactions. It's something that most people will never do. I've mm -hmm. never done a foreign exchange trade larger than £10,000. I've never had to. Uh, we did when we bought a house because my wife, as you might know, is from Belgium, so she did one. But next time we buy a house, actually, her assets and savings are now in pounds sterling because she's lived here and worked here for 15 years. So mm -hmm. it's something that people do even less frequently than a mortgage, and they just go to their bank and they don't question it. I guess as well, it's kind of widening the approach as well to other professionals, isn't it? Because certainly from where I'm based down the New Forest, for example, although a lot of kind of um, central London solicitors, for example, will be experienced in dealing with the foreign transactions, for example, in kind of the outer areas, it's less, uh, less recognised, I would mm. think. And, and that's where I think that we've got large solicitor companies that have got regional offices dotted around there's a good area of scope there as well, I guess. That's exactly right. And uh, if you're dealing with property professionals, solicitors is a good example. Mm. I was with some solicitors yesterday. Um, one of them was tearing their hair out because their client needs to exchange and their current foreign exchange provider are just not getting a move on. They're failing to onboard the client in good time and they need that money to exchange. And the, again, the current provider just doesn't know or care or understand the real urgency. What mm -hmm. I can bring as someone who's worked in that market and helped people arrange mortgages for 10 years, I do know what someone's going through when they need to buy a property. I do understand what exchange means, what completion means, what has to happen at each one of those points. And I will make sure that it happens. But uh, The consumer generally and historically has, has gone to the bank from a convenience point of view, but th th there is a, there's a cost to that convenience, isn't there? I mean, you must see some transactions where actually, do you know, even on £10,000, I mean, you know, what, what would the difference be if, you know, you'd gone to the bank for that transaction or you'd gone to a currency trader for that transaction? So you're quite right. There's a big cost. And one of the major banks, I won't name them, but they're quite a well-known intermediary lender as well, and a good one by all accounts. They regularly publish their rates on a daily basis. Very, very useful. Uh, when we compare their rates or prices to what we can achieve for the client, we typically save up to 4%. Right. So if someone's so, transferring £100,000, we can all do the maths. Uh, it's a very easy sell against. <laughs> Something like that, Mark. <laughs> Close <Break enough>. logic. <laughs> yeah, it's a very easy sell. And when we referred clients at Corico, the clients were always, well, first of all, delighted mm. at the saving. Then actually a bit angry that their bank was going to try and take this money out of them, hmm. but ultimately extremely pleased that we've made the referral. I think if you are an advisor working in that space with any clients who might have that need, you, you need to consider an alternative to so the this, so, and, and this is your angle then, Rob, isn't it? It's, it's giving the broker uh, something else in their armoury to speak to their clients about uh, because, you know, it, we, we have to um, uh, box above our weight sometimes in this industry. 
because um, you know we're, we're small companies compared to the big intermediary banks, obviously. Um, so it, it, it's giving the broker an opportunity to speak to their client about something else that can add value, where maybe nobody else would be having that conversation with them. Is that is that the, the kind of pitch that you make to, to brokers? That's that's definitely a big part of it. You're giving your client access to a very valuable service that will help them buy the property because we will work with them on those timelines given our experience. A lot of the time, in my experience, the broker is the trusted advisor mm. at the centre of a property transaction. The estate agent may not be the most reliable person in the world, the solicitor is charging by the hour. It's often the broker they come to as the trusted advisor. <laughs> and if you have other things that you can help the client with, then that can only help your relationship and help the client. Excellent. Presumably it also works for SMEs. It's not just the individual and property purchases. I mean, if, if, you, you know, if you've got a client that's maybe in import and export, if they're... Yeah, we work with a lot of current, SMEs. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I, a friend of mine was one of my first clients, so he runs a consultancy business. He had to pay or uh, an invoice in euros, and we did that conversion for him. So, yes, Fantastic. you're quite right. SMEs are a good uh, market for us as well. Good. Rob, uh, something I saw an article this week uh, in Mortgage Solutions that you wrote. You've just been doing some sort of charity work, some mentoring um, with some kids in, in London. Is that right? That's right. So when I realised I was going to have the chance of some time away, I thought I'd try and find a volunteer opportunity to keep me out of mischief, if nothing else. <laughs> I consider anything. I work in a shop, charity shop, that sort of thing. But I found this organisation through Google called Future Frontiers, and they provide career coaches, volunteer career coaches, to... Uh, uh, students in, in less privileged areas in, mm -hmm. in schools throughout London. So I signed up. I was very quickly approached by their head of partnerships who uh, got me involved, got me on a training course and put me in a school in South London. Uh, I've worked with them on a number of different bases. So the main one has been going to this school in South London every week for 10, 12 weeks and meeting with up to half a dozen students to run through a programme which helps them explore various careers, maybe challenges their assumptions, mm -hmm hones into a particular career that might suit them via lots of questions that you ask them personally and a, a pretty good piece of psychometric testing, but a kit that they use on a computer, brings out some careers, they can research those careers and hone down to one that suits them. Then a really powerful part of the program is to arrange a professional expert call. So I had two kids who wanted to be CEOs and I got a call with a friend of mine who's a CFO at a major construction company. They were totally blown away by what he said Fantastic. to them on the Skype call. Uh, another kid who wants to study medicine and become a medical researcher. And I got him uh, two Skype calls with PhDs. One's a student and one's a graduate who now runs a pharmaceutical business. So again, very, very powerful. Mm. And work with them to try and work out, well, you want to be there in five, ten years' time you need to achieve this degree, those A-levels, all this apprenticeship, but really these are the GCSEs that you need to go for in the next two years to try and make sure they at least get there. They may not end up doing this career, they may not end up going down that path, but let's get them motivated for the next two years because it's crucial to them. And these kids don't necessarily have the role models that others might have had when they were growing up. So it, it's been a great programme. I think the, what's really good about it as well is it brings real life to people as well. It's not just a specified, I mean, it's been ages since I left school, of course, but going back to when it was the careers advisor that would do one trip to the school that you were at. God, yeah. It I was mean, literally... We never had anything like that That opportunity. The only people that came around to our school were the police, you know. I mean, to have someone come in and, and someone with 20 years of experience and, and someone that's very, very well connected to be able to talk to these kids uh, and give them another angle about, you know, how their future can maybe pan out, I, thought, I would think that's a very, very strong... Uh, well, also, as well, it's realistic direction they can take as well, isn't it? It's something that can be but, uh, really yeah. qualified and quantified. It's not just a case of 
the old school careers advice who literally would just flick through a book and say, right, you, you, you like doing this, this and this. You could look at this long list. I mean, not being funny, but back when I left school, the types of jobs that I was offered based on my skill set as they saw it was banking. That's it. Lo and behold, what did I end up doing? Banking. Banking. So it was, in that respect, it was never a case of, it wasn't like a um, more of an organic conversation like this would be, for example, in terms of looking at kind of generally what do you wish to do? It was more a case of kind of, back in my day unfortunately I hate saying that but um, it was more a case of kind of here's a list of things that you could consider doing interesting well look uh, is that something that you're going to evolve on as well uh, Rob do you think is that you going to stay doing that well I'm certainly going to stay involved with the charity yeah. as you saw the article and I'm very grateful for that being published I'm mm-hmm. trying to help the charity evolve their proposition so they want to work with more professionals very diplomatically, when I first met with them, they suggested I had a little more experience than most of their volunteers who tend hair, to be uh, something yeah. like that, yeah. Students or postgrads or mature students, someone with 20 years business experience, not someone they have uh, coming across along very often who mm-hmm. can spare three months to do this sort of thing. So they have used me to, to help develop their proposition. I am trying to get them into more, more large corporates. So they have a program where they work with large companies and bring students to the place of work, which is brilliant. It's a convenient way for people to access the coaching, for companies to get involved, and a real aspirational environment for the students. So at the moment, my focus is to try and help them develop that proposition and use my contacts to get them into more large corporates. I'm delighted to say at the back of the article, I've had one person approach me from a uh, major lender to suggest that they might be able to get involved. So that would be a great start. Well, that's gr- great. And if anyone, if anyone is do. listening in um, and they're a CFO or a CEO, then, you know, want to get in contact with you what's your what's your twitter uh, handle that rob it's rob d gill okay so if anyone is interested in maybe getting involved in that charity then get in touch with rob via twitter right we've got about uh, about 90 seconds left uh, rob bitcoin explain it in 90 seconds bitcoin is a new form of money that doesn't need any central counterparty i think the best way i can describe it is if you buy or sell something via amazon amazon sit in the middle of it Using the technology behind Bitcoin, otherwise known as the blockchain, you can, in theory, make those kind of transactions without a central counterparty such as Amazon in the middle. You can exchange the money or the Bitcoin or any of the other various cryptocurrencies that people might be aware of, such as Ethereum, Ripple. There are dozens of them out there now. And more importantly, you can actually make the transaction trustless without a central counterparty over the blockchain. So it will change the world. Stuart, any the wiser? I am, actually. (laughs) Is it the future? Because I know you're, 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 you are a cryptocurrency fan. So is, is, is this the future? Should we all be embracing the, these this, this new form of currency? Is it, will it be embraced by the regulator and the central banks? I think it's more about the technology. It's the blockchain technology that mm-hmm. powers Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies. Uh, that will change the world. That is sort of Internet 2.0. Uh, a good friend of mine who runs a cryptocurrency exchange, he's always telling me this is a 50-year project. So it may take some time. I suspect it might be less than that. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if my children, who are two and seven, look back on the way I used to buy things and go, are you crazy, Dad? You used to give your credit card details to Amazon and let them handle the transactions for you. Why aren't you doing this all over the blockchain? It's decentralised, safer and far more convenient. So uh, the technology is definitely going to evolve. It's got a long way to go. Whether Bitcoin is the ultimate answer, whether it ends up being the MySpace to a Facebook uh, is very possible. <laughs> but that technology is here to stay and, and will revolutionise things. Interesting. You just made me feel very old. Rob, last question before you go. Who's going to be the new Arsenal manager? 
Well, they haven't picked up the phone to me yet. So, um, <laughs> don't hold your breath. <laughs> barring that, that, I don't know. I'm just very glad that the old one has gone, as you're probably aware. You're, um, you're a Wenger, aren't you? I have been for quite some time, and I think most people are by now. But uh, change so anyone, will be good. anyone, anyone new just, just would be an improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Sam Allardyce? Uh, well, maybe not. But uh, someone asked me about <laughs> Alan Pardew the other day. I said I'd rather have Alan Partridge. But, uh, <laughs> there are probably see. no mirrors long enough at the Emirates for, for Alan Pardew, I would think. Brilliant. Well, Rob, thank you very much. That's really interesting. Um, I think we've all learned something there, and I Indeed. certainly know a lot more about Blockcoin than I ever thought I would know. <laughs> so, uh, Rob, thank you for your time. Really appreciate that. And that's the end of episode eight, episode I think, eight. Stu. Well, thank you very much for your time. Look forward to the next one. Indeed, yes. Um, so, you can get in contact with us by following us on Twitter, and you can also send across to us any questions that you would like answered as well at any time. We're at the LM Experience on Twitter, and we'll be back here soon with episode nine. Before tier views, then. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party, and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it. Mm-hmm.